Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. All right, we're going to John chapter 5. We'll start reading today at verse 30, and I'm going down to 47. We have moved into the second year of Jesus' ministry. He apparently has gone down to Jerusalem, I think at the Feast of Purim. That's that where they celebrate Esther and Mordecai and Haman and all that. They still do. If you go over to Israel, they all get dressed up as queens and bad guys and stuff. It's fun. They're all wearing costumes. And so this is Purim, I think, February. And uh, he has gone down to, to Jerusalem, and he walked by the pool of Bethesda. And the pool of Bethesda is just there on the north side of the, of the temple uh, complex. Still there. We go there when we, and visit it uh, when, we, uh, when we go to Israel. So he passed a man who had been was sick with something to the point that he's weak and infirm. Uh, we don't know that he's a paralytic, but he's, he's, he's weak and infirm uh, for 38 years. Jesus comes up to him. He says, do you want to get well? The man says, well, I would need someone to put me in the water when the waters stir. Because they had this belief that an angel stirred the water on occasion. And you had to be the first one in. Uh, Jesus uh, doesn't say anything more. Doesn't ask him to have faith or anything. Just simply says, rise. Uh, uh, pick up your bed and walk. It says the man became well instantly. Uh, he, didn't get, he didn't pick up his bed and then get well. He got, he got well. The, the, the life just surged into his body. He picked up his bed and he started walking. Well, it wasn't very far, I suppose. And one of the, some of the religious leaders spotted him. And they, because it was the Sabbath, they said, what are you doing carrying your mat? You know, rolled up mat. What are you doing carrying your mat on the Sabbath? You're working on the Sabbath. You're violating the Sabbath. They were very angry at him. And it's quite a serious charge in that climate. Uh, they could get him in a lot of trouble. Uh, they didn't, in, in a sense. But you know they extracted promises from him. And I'm sure they told him, go into the temple and offer this sacrifice and this sacrifice and this sacrifice for your terrible sin of carrying your mat on the Sabbath. Jesus later found him in the temple, probably doing as he had been told. Uh, they asked him, who, who was it who healed you on the Sabbath? And he said, I don't know. And you recall Jesus had slipped away in the crowd in all the commotion. And uh, so he found, Jesus found him and he confronted him. Recall this? He, he said, uh, you've been healed. Don't sin anymore, lest something worse befall you. Now, he didn't mean that God will give you polio next time. He, what I believe he meant was, uh, your heart's not right. You're still, whatever this was, and don't keep on sinning. It wasn't just, you did something way back and you got this. Don't do another, it'll get worse. It's don't continue doing whatever this is you're doing. with Some sort of bitterness, who knows what it was. And the man, uh, or, or, or when you face God, you're in trouble. In other words, you're not right yet with God. You're healed, but you're not, you're not spiritually well. The man reacted very badly and went and reported him, got his name, and went and reported him to the religious officers uh, who are trying to build a, a, a list of offenses so they can have a blasphemy trial and get him killed. I mean, this is their accumulating evidence for their trial. 
and he goes and supplies some. Uh, I'm sure he knew. There's no missing what's going on. And so he reacted very badly. The religious leaders then come and confront Jesus. And their confrontation is, uh, what are you doing working on the Sabbath? And then you recall he said, uh, I'm working on the Sabbath because my father was working on the Sabbath. I did what I saw him do. In other words, your problem is with God. Uh, he healed the man on the Sabbath. Go tell him you don't like that. Uh, they then got very offended because he called God his father. And then it says, uh, John says, making uh, himself equal to God. Remember that discussion last week? Uh, literally equal. Jesus responds then. Jesus responds, and he does not say he's not God in the, in the sense of divinity. I am God's divine son. But you're very, very wrong when you think that I say I'm, I'm, I'm uh, arrogant toward God, that I'm independent of God. I do nothing I don't see him do. I only follow my father. I submit to him and seek his glory in everything I do. And may I add, I don't think that's a temporary state that Jesus entered into as the incarnated man. I believe that's always the relationship of the son to the father. That's always the relationship of the son to the father. Always loving and, and surrendering to his father in all things. That his father, for the father is the source. He's our God. Hallelujah. Jesus is his begotten son, his divine son. So this, this, we then saw Jesus say, now let me tell you who I am that you're dealing with. I am the son of man that Daniel spoke of. I'm the one that will enter into the throne room of, of, of the heavenlies right up to the ancient of days. And he will give me dominion and authority over all the peoples of the earth. And I am the one who will sit on my throne and I will, I will shout out and the dead will rise and stand before me. And I will separate the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous. And they will, they will glorify me even as they glorify the Father. Now, can you imagine somebody telling you that? <laughs> By the way, I'm the Son of Man. You'll hear my voice someday. Picture this. Picture this. He's just told them this amazing thing. Today, we're going to see him continue that conversation. And what he's going to say to them is, I don't ask you to take my word for it. What I'm telling you is, is amazing. You don't have to take my word for it. The Father will prove what I say. Holy Spirit, please open the word to us. Oh, Lord, make us meet you in the Bible. Make us know you and love you. Open our eyes today. Give us soft hearts. We come as disciples of Jesus Christ to be taught, to be fed, to be equipped that we might serve you and follow you even as your beloved son follows you. Come, Lord, we ask in his name. I pray for grace to let this happen. Amen. All right, we're in John chapter 5. We're picking up right where I, I said he's just talked about raising the, the righteous and the unrighteous. And then verse 30, he says this, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will. Would you say that? I do not seek my own will. And he says, but the will of him who sent me. Say that too. The will of him who sent me. Notice Jesus again reaffirms. He said it once. He's saying it again. He says, I, I absolutely in all things am doing the will of my father. There, if I alone testify about myself, look at this, my testimony is not true. 
There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. Who is he talking about? He's talking about God the Father. God the Father, and now he is going to step to John in one second. God the Father testifies. He says, you have sent to John, that would be John the Baptist, and he has testified to the truth. We'll see more about that in a minute. But the testimony which I receive is not from man. But I say these things so that you may be saved. Your understanding of who I am, is your, your salvation hinges on it. He was the lamp, he, John, the Baptist, was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. Would you say the works? The works. Yeah, first of all, the works testify. Now let's see what else. And the Father who sent me has testified of me, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe him who he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, say the scriptures. All right, first of all, we said what testifies of him? Works. What now testifies of him? The scriptures, these are the two foundation stones that he will say, testify of who he is. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know that you, I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my father's name, meaning surrendered to him, doing his will, uh, completely following him. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, doing his own will, seeking his own ambitions, his own, his own glory, you will receive him. That's the kind of leaders you like to follow. And boy, did they, by the way. I, the false messiahs would rise up, and that's what actually got uh, Jerusalem destroyed. It was, a, it was a messianic thing, where you had a fellow rise up and say, we're going to have an army, do everything that Jesus wouldn't do that they wanted him to do? Well, somebody else said, sure, we want to have a fight, let's have one. And they did, oh boy. And, and a million and a half people died in the siege of Jerusalem. Uh, and and uh, the, the butchering of the Galilee and everything else. It was a hideous experience. They followed somebody, all right, who did his own will. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? And you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, remember he's talking to, to uh, Orthodox, uh, ultra-Orthodox Jews. You would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? All right, how to read the Bible. Would you recognize God if you met him? How would you know it was him? And no, we are not talking about things like a long white beard or a brilliant light or a voice like thunder. If God became a man, a normal appearing man, would you or I be able to tell that it was him? What sort of person would he be? What qualities would you expect to find? 
This is the question that Jesus was asking these leaders. Here was a group of people who read the Bible a lot. But in spite of all that reading, they hadn't met the God who wrote the Bible. When they read it, they saw a book full of rules. So when they actually met God's son, someone who was exactly like his father, someone, they didn't recognize him. In fact, they didn't like him. In the passage we are reading today, Jesus is trying to explain to a group of very religious people that if they really knew God, if they had met him in the pages of Scripture, they would know that he had come from God. They had accused him of blasphemy and arrogance toward God, but the truth was, excuse me, he couldn't be more humble. He was completely submitted to the Father. The real reason for their hostility toward him was that they didn't know or love the God of the Bible. This is an important passage. We've got to understand it. Uh, I could not have explained it to you last week. I mean, I've, I've spent all week, you know, I go through the, I go through the Greek, I, just, I go and meditate on this thing, and I just ask the Holy Spirit, you know, step by step by step, and just the whole process. And then it, the Lord always wants us to know his word. So he will open it to us. Uh, if, if for those who, who, who earnestly are hungry, he, he's gracious to us. Um, so we're going to look at it, and then I'm going to look at it again, and then we'll apply it to our lives. Here we go, verse 31 and 32. Jesus did not expect anyone to believe that he was God's son simply because he said he was. In fact, he said, if the father did not confirm it, no one should believe him. But he said God had done so, and because he had, it couldn't be doubted. Verse 33, the religious leaders had sent representatives out to the Jordan River to interview John the Baptist during the time when the great multitudes were coming to be baptized. We read that passage in John chapter 1, if you recall. And they asked John if he were the Messiah. He answered that he was not, but that he had already baptized the person who was. And then later he pointed to Jesus and said, that's him. Actually, he said what? Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And he did it twice. When they came to him and they said, are you the Messiah? He said, no, but I baptized the guy 40 days ago. Heavens open, heard the voice. He who, I baptized the man who existed before me. Remember that? I mean, John, is no question of John. This great prophet, really the first prophet in 400 years in Israel's history. The, the last prophet uh, was it, uh, had, had ended in a gap of about 400 years. Is it Malachi? I mean, not only the end of the Bible, but I think it was Malachi. And, and you've had a huge gap. And here's John, the first real prophet. And they come to him and they say, are you the Messiah? He said, no, he is. John had testified of Jesus. And they asked John if he were the Messiah. He answered he was not, but they did already baptize the person who was. But as wonderful a, a prophet as John the Baptist was, he was merely a man. So he, couldn't, so he could be doubted. The only totally reliable witness is God himself. And when he says someone is our Savior, we must believe him. Our salvation depends on it. Verse 35, John the Baptist was a true prophet who called Israel to repentance. Through him, God shone his light of truth for all to see. And many came to that light. They listened to him preach and responded in faith. But John's season of ministry had already passed by the time Jesus is saying this. Verse 36, 
as a great a prophet as John was, he was still just a man. So his testimony could be doubted, but God's testimony cannot be questioned. And he was performing great miracles through Jesus, which could not be denied or explained away. They were proof that God honored Jesus and had given him amazing authority. If he were a liar or a madman, God would never perform such wonders through him. Do you agree? Yeah. I mean, he just doesn't do miracles to crazy people. Uh, I will stop there. Verse 37. <laughs> We've all met a few. And uh, yeah. Verse 37 to 38. Not one of these leaders had ever seen God or heard his voice. Uh, now, certain people had, hadn't they? I mean, Adam and Eve had. Uh, Moses had. Remember this? He saw, the, he saw the backside of him as he passed away before him. Uh, heard his voice. You bet he heard his voice. Uh, uh, John had heard his voice. That's what he, that's what he announces. He said, uh, heaven's opened and I heard him say, you know, my beloved son, this is, this is he. So some people had, but these hadn't. And Jesus says, not one of these leaders had ever heard God, uh, seen God or heard his voice. And that's the norm for most of us. The, ver the main way God could reveal himself to them was through the scriptures. So if they read or listened to God's word and then meditated on what they heard, the Holy Spirit could show them the heart of God. Did you notice he say, you don't have the word in your heart. See that? Not just in your head. He's talking about the heart. You have not meditated and understood and loved the word. It's not in here. They would discover that God, if they, if, they, if they did meditate on it, they would discover that God is full of grace and truth. Say grace and truth. Grace. Remember that? John opens up and he says, We beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. Yeah. Mercy, the kindness of God, and the truth of God. He doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't varnish over the truth, but he's full of grace and mercy. That he is a God of love who deeply cares for the needs of his people. So if they met his son, who is exactly like him, they would recognize him and welcome him. If properly understood, the scriptures would teach them about a God that is full of grace and truth and life. So when they observed Jesus expressing grace and truth and life, they would understand that he had been sent by God. Do you see the discussion? He's saying, you've not heard or see, heard his, seen him. You've not heard his voice. But you've been in the word of God. And had you meditated, was it, if it were in your heart, and you had let the, met God in the Bible, in the pages of the Bible, then when you saw me, you'd recognize him. Because I'm just like him. The God of the Bible is, is my father. And I'm doing the things he does. Your reaction to me shows me you do not know him. Verse 39 and 40. Yet these leaders preferred religious rituals to relationship with God. Because keeping rules gave them a sense of achievement and pride. You search the scriptures for you think that in them you have eternal life. In other words, what are the rules? Let's keep them. We're going to earn, our he earn heaven. They had become convinced that God would reward them with eternal life if they successfully obeyed his rules. So they and people like them actually hated Jesus when they met him. 
because he didn't keep all their rules. Isn't that really the clash over and over again? You did it on the wrong day, you gathered grain, you did this, you touched that, what are you doing touching lepers? I mean, we just went on and on and on, breaking the rules. By refusing to recognize who he was and believe in him, they actually rejected the eternal life they were working so hard to attain. Verse 41 and 42. Jesus told them that he didn't need their approval. It was God's approval that mattered. But the way they were reacting to his ministry was very revealing. It exposed their heart. If they genuinely loved God, they would follow people who humbly sought to do his will, not their own, and who wanted to glorify God, not themselves. See that? If you love God, you follow people that love God. If you don't love God, you follow people that don't love God. And if they had God's love within them, they would rejoice to see people healed and set free from demonic oppression. But that had not been the case. For example, when a man who had been sick for 38 years was healed, instead of being glad for him, they focused on the fact that he had carried his mat on the Sabbath. Do you see the symptom in that? That's sick. That is sick. The man has been 38 years in this. And they know the guy. I mean, never this. And here he is, and he's in trouble because he carried his mat. No. Hey, look at you. This is fabulous. Man. Nothing of that. No happiness whatsoever. What are you doing with a mat on your shoulder? I mean, really, wake up to this. This is amazing. There's something wrong in this. I want to show you there's two approaches. There are two deep, profound approaches to the way you read the Bible. One person comes up with a system of rules. One person comes up and meets a God full of grace and truth. It's two different gods. It is two different gods. Jesus warned them that they tended to follow people who were seeking their own glory rather than trying to glorify God. And that he said they personally cared more about having others hold them in high esteem than being held in high esteem by God. Verse 45 through 47, Jesus told them that he had come to save people, not accuse them before the Father. But he warned these leaders that they were bringing condemnation on themselves by the way they reacted to him. They had set their hope for salvation on obeying the law of Moses. But Moses had included in his writings many prophetic symbols which spoke of a coming Savior. For example, the seed of the woman. Do you remember this? Genesis 3. The seed of the woman will do what? Crush the serpent's head. That's a promise to Eve. For goodness sakes, we're clear back in the Garden of Eden. The promise that the w women don't have seed I mean, I'm not going any farther with that one, but they don't. And yet somehow the seed in the woman will crush the serpent's head. And say that to Adam. The seed of the woman. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a child. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent. Who's the serpent? Satan himself. Crush his head. Hallelujah. You don't really have to go any farther than Genesis 3 and you got it. Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. That example of a father almost killing his son on the very place within hundreds of yards of where Jesus was crucified. And having his hand held but a ram in the thicket. 
God, and on that mountain, Mount Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide in the mount of the Lord his own sacrifice, his own son. I mean, you just get into it. You don't need to go past Moses. It's all there. The, the brazen serpent. Jesus brought that up to Nicodemus. He goes right into, into the books of Moses. Right into the Torah. And he, and he says, even as the, as the Son of Man will be lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. What a strange story. For heaven's sakes, he sticks a metal snake on a stick and you get healed. That's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense at all, does it? Something has become sin for our sake. And you look at him and f- notice it's totally grace. You didn't earn your healing. You looked at this, at this sacrifice. You looked at this thing and you were healed. Grace is being taught over and over again. The Passover. You don't do anything. Other you put the blood on the, the doors and lintels. You do what you're told. That part, part. You lay hold of the lamb. And the angel of death passes over you. You didn't earn that. Grace and truth are being taught all through the book of Moses. But what do you see? You carried your mat on the Sabbath. What are you doing? What are you doing? Two different approaches. Two people, same book. Two people, same book. The Passover lamb, the Red Sea, the manna striking the rock, the scapegoat. The feasts and the sacrificial system. On one occasion, Moses prophesied that God would send another leader like himself who would speak God's word to them and warned those who refused to listen. Either these religious leaders hadn't understood Moses, what he wrote, or they, under, they understood but refused to believe. But in either case, they failed to obey him, to obey Moses. How to read the Bible. How is it possible for two people to read the same book but come away with such different pictures of God? One finds in the pages of the Bible a judge who has written a set of of laws and will reward the person who obeys them down to the smallest detail. You see, you keep working it smaller and smaller. I mean, if you're talking about we can't work on the Sabbath, then what's work? Well, that's work. Well, all right, if that's work, is this work? Well, that's kind of work too, yeah. All right, well, if this is work, then is this work? I think it is. And if this is work, is this work? Let's let's conclude it. Be safe. Until we can't push the button on the elevator. You just work it farther and farther and farther down the line. What's work? Well, that's work. And actually, so is that. It's work. It does become silly... But in that mindset, it's not. In that mindset, it is obedience. But what happens is after a while, it's all about your obedience. It's not about grace. It's not about what he does. It's about what we do. And at that point, you have left the God of the Bible. Abraham became righteous by faith. He was not circumcised, the very first and foundational thing of the law, for 24 years. Not one trace of law in Abraham's life, and yet he was a righteous man of God. Why? He walked with the God of the Bible in faith. He knew him. He loved him. He was called a friend of God. You see the difference? Isn't David wonderful? Would you consider David Jewish? 
Anyone not? Okay. Very Jewish, right? Father, ultimately, the, the ancestor of the Messiah himself, raised the son of Jesse uh, and, 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 and raised in Bethlehem. How Jewish can you get? Would you notice David's relationship with God? David loved the Lord. He worshipped profoundly. Uh, he, he was the one who, who, who got the, the Ark of the Covenant and had it brought to Jerusalem. It took him a couple of tries, if you recall. First try, got a couple of people killed. They were going to put it in an ox car to get it there quickly. Efficiency is not always the best. Uh, but he got, the, he got that, uh, that Ark of the Covenant and brought it, and he built a tent. They didn't bring the, uh, the uh, tabernacle itself because it's leather, and it's been there for a couple of hundred years. You can imagine old leather. You can't move the thing. I think it's at Kiriath-Jerim or whatever, and you can't move it, uh, but you, uh, you leave it in place. But he brought the Ark of the Covenant, and he brought it and set it up in a tent there on a threshing floor on a, uh, on, uh, the, uh, of Aruna, on the, just above the, old, the city of, uh, in Jerusalem. And he would go in and he would lie before the Lord. He would worship the Lord and he would talk. He was the one who said, it's better uh, to be, I'd rather be a, a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Better to be one day with God in his presence than to be, to be a thousand elsewhere. I love the Lord's presence. He would dance before the Lord. When he sinned, did he sin? Big time. Had a man murdered? And, and impregnated his wife, one of his loyal officers, for heaven's sakes, you bet he sinned. And yet when he went to the Lord, he said, he said if, if I thought that offering a whole lot of bulls and oxen and, and all that stuff would please you, I'd do it. But he said, that's not what you want. What you want from me is a contrite heart. And he said, Don't have mercy on me. And he says, because of your loving kindness. He understood loving kindness. That means the grace of God. Chesed. The very word we keep talking about. He, that's the word he used. Because of this chesed of yours. Your promised love to me. Have mercy on me. Do you hear him? This is, this is how he related to the God of the Bible. And, and what does the Bible call him? You know, they, 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 Israel spoke of him as the sweet shepherd of Israel. And as a man after God's own heart. The Lord loved him. You see this? And then you've got these guys. What are you doing carrying your mat on the Sabbath? This is an ancient issue for Israel. This is an ancient contest. Every time God sent a prophet, they stoned him. They sawed one in half. They stuck one in a, in a horrible cistern. Uh, Jeremiah, of all people, for goodness sakes, they put in a cistern up to his armpits in the soft mud. You maybe haven't been in a cistern. When we go to Israel, we go to some cisterns. Uh, we, had to, we had to escort some people out of the last one because it's so claustrophobic. It's horrible. It's just unconscionable what they did to that man. Every one of the prophets and people who God sent to them, they, 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 they treated badly. Jesus is not the only one. If we suddenly show up and he's interrupting Judaism. No, this, is, this has been going on for thousands of years. This whole contest. This is the latest. Remember his parable? We had a vineyard. And he, and, he, and he assigned men to run his vineyard. And, they, and he sent, he sent uh, servants to them and said, uh, uh, pay me what you owe. And, and they said, uh, they stoned them and killed them and threw them out. And finally he said, I'll send my son. They'll respect him. They looked up and they said, this is the son. Let's kill him. And the vineyard will be ours. Boy, is that a telling parable. Is that a telling parable. This is a contest between who, who is the God of the Bible. And it's been going on for millennia. 
While another reads the same Bible and concludes that God is a loving father trying to draw us close to him so he can teach us how to walk in faith. Two people, one book. Two different pictures of God. How does that happen? This was the situation Jesus was facing. He was talking to a group of people who had studied the Bible all their lives but had never met the God who wrote the Bible. When he revealed to them the heart of God by healing a man who'd suffered for almost four decades, they became angry. The God they served was deeply offended because the God Jesus served broke a rule by working on the wrong day. What appeared to be a disagreement over a small detail was in reality nothing less than the clash between two different gods. Obviously, it is very important to learn how to read the Bible properly. A wrong reading can ruin a person spiritually. But how do we know which is the right way? Thankfully, Jesus told these men who confronted him where they went wrong. He said, one, they had not meditated on the scriptures. You do not have his word abiding in you. Would you read that? You do not have his word abiding in you. When they read, they needed to let the Holy Spirit reveal to them the heart of God. It's one thing to read the word. It's another thing to meditate upon the word and let the Lord open to you its deep meaning. Number two, they searched through the Bible looking for rules. Believing that to have eternal life, they must obey every rule down to the smallest detail. Number three, they didn't even see the many promises in the Bible that said God would send a Savior who would save us by grace. Four, they didn't see those promises because they preferred to earn their salvation, not receive it as a gift by faith. Five, the underlying problem behind all of it was that they had grown loveless. He said, you do not have the love of God in yourselves. They didn't love God or people. Number six, they let people who didn't love God teach them about God. They followed ambitious, self-seeking people. Seven, God himself had grown so distant in their experience that their goal was to be approved and admired by other religious people rather than by God. And number eight, they considered the writings of Moses to be the most important part of the Bible. Yet when they read those books, they refused to believe the symbols and promises God placed there, which said he would send a savior. Application. Here we go. So according to Jesus, in order to read the Bible properly, I must, number one, believe that God still does miracles. Say that. Believe that God still does miracles. Without that faith, nothing in the Bible makes sense. Would you agree? People have been spending the last century or more in the United States and, and, and Western world trying to explain the Bible apart from miracles. You have the craziest explanations for things about how they, how they really happened. I mean, one, one was classic. They, that uh, when Israel came out of Egypt, the, 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 the sea they went through was this, this, this reedy swamp. And about three feet deep. Now, the miracle, of course, is still there. How do you drown the entire Egyptian army in three feet of water? You know, they must have, you know. Don't come up, don't come up. It, gets, it just gets laughable. People who don't know a miracle God looking at miracles and trying to figure out why it happened. And so they sanitize it and they work through it. You destroy it. You destroy the Bible. It absolutely assumes there is a God who acts and does wonders. Amen? Jesus Christ the same. 
yesterday, today, and forever. Let's do it again. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today. Yeah, you just became, you just proclaimed yourself a Pentecostal. That's the, that's the issue. That's the whole deal. Does he still do stuff? Uh-huh. Yeah, he does. All right. And notice this. Believe that God still does miracles, nor can I recognize the signs God gives me today that confirm that Jesus is the Savior. Does Jesus, does I, excuse me, does the Father still confirm that his Son is who he says he is? He does. How does he do it? Works, miracles, and Scripture. Same way. Which, may I point out, how important then it is that we do see healings. And we see the power of God at work among us. He does not ask us to just take something uh, without any proof. Our Heavenly Father will demonstrate that Jesus is who he says he is. You don't have to just buy faith. Well, yes, it's by faith, but he's going to prove it to you. If you have eyes to see. Now, if every time some miracle happens, you say, well, I think they just had a lot of carrot juice. You know, you, some of you have heard my story. <laughs> I had another one just the other day. Anyway, uh, but it was. Some, some people are like, wow, it takes a lot of faith not to believe that was a miracle. You know, I, I, I told a story, and I, I won't go through it, but a, a woman who was very dramatically healed, she had macular degeneration to the point, just little chunks of light that she could still see. Uh, and the doctor was teaching her how to go blind. There's no reversing this thing. And uh, stood in one of our services, um, prayed, actually just a group of women around her, uh, laid hands on her and prayed, and her, her whole, whole macula went back into place. Well, this doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. It's, it's not a healing. That's a miracle. And uh, the doctor wrote it up in, the, in a journal of optometry and or ophthalmology, and you know, the, one of the most remarkable remissions that had ever been seen. Uh, when her, her daughter, I, I talked to her daughter, she lived somewhere else, and I talked to her daughter, and I said, um, now, uh, your mom must just be thrilled. And she said, well, it's kind of strange. She said, uh, uh, I kept saying, mom, you know, isn't that amazing Jesus healed you? And mom says, you know, I think it's, I started drinking carrot juice. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it, it takes work, doesn't it? It's hard work not to believe. Yeah. Uh, some people are so bent on this that when God does it, and, and that nobody, nobody can help you. I mean, at that point, you're, you, you are who you are. Um, but God will do his part. He will do his part. And he will show who he is. Hallelujah. Uh, so it, we, need, we need it for today. It's not just back then they needed. We need, this, we need the God doing his powerful signs and we need his word uh, to see what it says. Number two, expect to meet God in his word. Say that with me. Ex expect to meet God in his word. Yes, of course, I want to obey his righteous standards. But my goal when I read is to meet him there, not acquire knowledge. You, you read the word to meet the Lord. I, it is one of the, I don't know what I'd do without a Bible. I mean, it, it is so precious to me. Uh, George Mueller's uh, statement many years ago, about 100 years ago. <laughs> uh, Mueller said this. He said, I, I read the Bible till my heart gets happy. And then I pray. That just crystallized things for me. I thought, got it. Do you ever start out praying and you just, you're just like, Oatmeal, you know, it's just mush. It's just a, 
Oh, God, and be with that and that and that. And that. You know, it's just plowing along. He, said, I, 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 he, he says, I did that too. And he said, after a while, he said, I learned that if I read the Bible till my heart gets happy, then I can pray. Now, what's it mean to have your heart get happy? Your heart gets happy when faith rises. When hope, yeah. When you begin to see the revelation. When he begins to talk to you. When you're engaging into that relational level. How long does that take you? Well, how, how bad are you? Uh, it just depends on the day. You know, some days you quickly enter in. And other days it took you an hour and a half. And you're just, you're just like lead. Uh, it's just, it is, it's us. But you can sense when that depression lifts. You can sense when all of a sudden the discouragement, the sadness, the fear. Uh, you, you begin to feel, it's like, it's like a person coming up from underwater. You know, and breaking through the, the, the water and going, <gasps> and breathing air. You've come back into his presence. You can, you can feel, okay, I can do this. Learning this that I'm talking about now is to me, I think it's the most fundamental skill that a disciple must learn. You have to learn to find him and break through for yourself on a daily basis in order to cope with life. Uh, there's, no, there's no prayer. Anybody can pray or anything like that. If sort of you coast then from there on. You and I learn to break into his presence, to meet him in the word and let him talk to us. Um, well, I have a journal. I don't know how you do it. But I have a journal and, and I... I, 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 I some of you are reading uh, long distances. You, you read through the Bible in a year. If you've not read the Bible before and you're just getting exposed to it, I, I recommend that. I think it's very good. Get yourself an exposure or two. Get it so you read it. But at some point, there needs to also be a much slower pace of reading where you meditate. Yeah, it isn't enough to read five chapters. There I did it. Uh, the, the point is you need to meet him. I generally will read about a, a chapter Sometimes more, just if I'm on a roll. But I mean, it just. I, but the point again is to read till my heart gets happy, till till and till something in that scripture comes alive to me. Yeah. Comes alive to me. So I'm watching. I'm reading it. I'm reading it. I'm watching for the Holy Spirit to quicken something, to yeah. speak to my heart. And then I I journal. I those of you in OSL, uh, you're learning to do that soap. Uh, well, Jerry Dearman taught a uh, thing where it was uh, hear, do, and pray. Well, I still use this hear, do, and pray. It's the same thing as SOAP. And I, I, have, a, I have my own little acronym, RSVP. I read. I have uh, a verse. I mean, I sing. Uh, I'm supposed to. I don't always. That's kind of the rougher part of it. Um, I have a verse. I'm doing a memory verse. You know, you begin to take really important passages to you that really are powerful memorize them and not just a verse or two do a chapter or half a chapter whole sections big chunks get it in there and then you have to keep rehearsing it boy that you'll find that those passages open up to you over the years uh you, you memorize the, the lord's prayer memorize the 23rd psalm you know as the years go by that 23rd psalm will become Deeper and deeper to you. You'll keep seeing things in moments. It'll, in the middle of the night when you're depressed. I do this all the time. In the middle of the night when, I, when, I'm, when I'm sad or I wake up worried. You know, there I am and I'm, I can have all these thoughts going through my head. And I, okay, now I'm not going to think those thoughts. You know, it's like, don't think pink elephants. You know, it's just right back. I take my mind and I go back and I, re and I recite um, passages I've memorized. Right now, I'm work, uh, working on John uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 18, the prologue. 
I'm getting that. Uh, so in the middle of the night, I'm going, you know, in the, be in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and not, nothing that has come into being came into being apart from Him. You know, I'm just, and I'm just, and I'm just, and I'm reflecting and meditating on it, and I go to sleep. I calm down. I find peace. I find focus. That, this memorizing of the word, the word will, will heal us. And so you, 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 you write this, you begin to write out. What am I seeing here? What is the Lord saying to me in the word? How does it apply to my life? Just brief things. But you begin to interact with the word. You will find, I promise you this, you will find the most prophetic, powerful insights are flowing into you. Amen. I have watched, I have done this with, 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 with young teens. I taught a guitar class here years ago, and, and I decided we'd soap, you know, at the beginning of our class. So I had every, all these, these, these kids soaping. Why don't they hear doing, you know, scripture, observation, application, and prayer? And, and they'd do it, and they, they, they would just wow me. I mean, I'm taking notes. I'm going, that's great. I hadn't seen that. When the Holy Spirit wants to teach you, the Bible. This business that is somehow mysterious or you have to have some theological education is nonsense. Honestly, the only education I think is worth doing, I think you need to be taught Greek. <laughs> you know, and Hebrew if we could do it. It's so that you can read the original. But it's the Bible that's our teacher. And the Holy Spirit who wants to open it. And he will open to you. And so now you're having this conversation with the living God. And what kind of God will you meet? One who is full of grace and truth. You will find a wonderful father who will teach you his ways. That's who you'll meet. So that if you were to meet him walking around in the body of a man and you watched him full of grace and truth heal a man who's 38 years in bondage, you'd rejoice. You'd say, that's the God I know. What a kind, loving father he is. To rescue us from disease and trouble and sadness. Not, what are you doing carrying your mat? Number three, meditate on important passages. I just said that. Not just read through them. Memorizing can be a great help in doing this. I must let my mind dwell on the truth I find there. Or keep questioning a passage I don't understand until it releases its treasure. I can be certain that the Holy Spirit wants to teach me its true meaning. I enter into a partnership between my study and his revelation. Number four, watch for the prophetic symbols and promises that are hidden there in plain sight. They hold deep intended meanings, which especially make sense after I meet Jesus and look back at those passages in light of him. Would you read this with me? And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Number five, see God's grace and truth in every passage. Even those that are hard to understand. There's passages you'll read that'll sh that you don't know what to do with. 
God's heart never changes. There's passages you don't understand. But you do understand him. He's just like Jesus. I don't think there's a more profound truth of all. Jesus says, when you see me, you've seen the Father. I am so relieved. That is the best news I can imagine. That my heavenly Father is just like his beautiful Son. Full of grace and truth and life. I can trust him with everything in me. Number six, never let people who, uh, who don't love God teach me the Bible. I must follow only those who seek his will and his glory rather than their own. Why don't you read this with me and we'll close. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Amen. Would you stand with me? Does that passage make sense now? That passage with Philip? I do nothing but that which I see the Father do. I don't speak anything. I don't hear him speak. Philip, what do you mean, show us the Father? I've done nothing but show you the Father from the moment you met me. Hallelujah. Blessed be the Lord. I'm going to grab my Bible. I, don't, I just see myself doing this. If any of you have a Bible at hand, maybe you'd want to pick it up with you. We don't worship the book. We worship the God who wrote the book. And the book has been given to us to introduce us to him and bring us to him. Father, we thank you so much for giving us your word. And that you have written yourself into every page. And you have shown us your beloved son beginning in the Garden of Eden. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would bring this book and give us a, a deep love for it. And you would, Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our understanding. That as we read, you would teach us. You would reveal to us the, the, the God who wrote the Bible. That we would fall in love with him every day, over and over again. We'd be strong and we'd be set free from our depression and our fear and our lack of direction. And Lord, you would, you would make us uh, true disciples, sons and daughters of the living God. So Lord, we give you the word and we give ourselves to, to the word that you would teach it to us and feed it to us. Lord, a deep hunger in us to love and meet you in the word. Come Holy Spirit. Now that's, a, that's I'm really praying something. I'm asking that the Lord would give us a, a deep hunger for his word and he would reveal it to us. If you want that very thing, would you say, yes, Lord? you Jesus come Holy Spirit hallelujah hallelujah Lord Jesus we do see you we see you full of grace and truth we see you teaching us about our Heavenly Father we choose to follow you we are grateful for the righteous standards the Bible gives us we are sons and daughters who are not rebellious we want to obey you and we want clean holy lives we want pure lives we're not looking for lawlessness but we walk with a God who is full of grace and truth. And we are so grateful for it. Thank you for showing our Father to us, Lord. We bless you. 
we receive it in Jesus' powerful name. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.